recruiters, in-house recruiters, check your ego. I was one of those, you know, you know, I can do this, you know, I've been recruiting for, for, you know, X amount of years. Just, just move your ego aside and get that advice, learn about the culture and all the things that, that's slightly different from the the country that you're in to make sure that when you do approach it, you're armed. that helps you open and thrive in foreign markets. This is Steve here, your host speaking, and we're back for another great episode. Hiring in your home market is already hard enough, isn't it? But how do you hire successfully in foreign countries then? And say, say you manage to hire them. How do you grow a healthy corporate culture in all your offices while keeping the local vibes of each country. Well, I am welcoming Amanda Simon with a 30 years spent in HR roles overseeing multiple territories and currently Chief People Officer at Briars Group. She will walk us through her key insights to answer these questions. Stay tuned. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming here on the International Corner Podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, my pleasure. We're going to deep dive about uh, culture, about hiring today. I'm very excited because this is not um, the kind of topics that we usually talk about. So very exciting to deep dive with you today. For the audience, could you perhaps introduce yourself, a little bit of your background and, and why you think that you know your experience is relevant to this podcast? Um, yeah, so I am Amanda Simon. Um, I am the Chief People Officer for the Briars Group based in Elstead, Surrey. Um, and uh, your question asked me why I think I'm the right person to be answering these questions. It's probably 32 years um, within the, the HR um, industry um, focused around kind of culture, hiring, uh, the whole employee life cycle. Um, I don't do, you know, I, I've never moved away from this kind of area because I'm so passionate about it. So mm-hmm. I think if anybody's going to talk about this, it'd probably be me from Bryce. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And so right now you're you're talking, you're uh, working for Myers Group, right? Yeah, for the Bryce Group. Yeah, yes. Um, uh, yeah, basically, sorry. Um, we we are uh, land and expand specialists ultimately, um, but we cover. Um, we've got a little bit of a, a difference in the way that we work because we cover all the back office services. So um, my role, especially being people, um, is all anything to do with uh, employees inside and outside of the business. So, okay, perfect, and that's good because uh, you know we're also gonna gonna use that, I guess, for some of the of <laughs> the interesting questions today. Before getting into the matter, I would say this is I would the icebreaker time. So if you could just pick a number between one and six, just imagine that we were rolling a dice. Which number would you pick? And I will ask you a question. Three. All right. Okay. What does success mean to you? Oh, success. To me, um, I think it 
the completion of a task, um, you know, when you can actually sign it off, um, you know, in, in anything that I do and anything I do inside or outside of work, success means that you've you've achieved it and you can you can take it off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so really the sense of like from a task, then if you feel that you achieved it, like that's what success means to you. Ultimately, you know, chief people officer, you know, I've, I've spent a two two decades working towards getting that. So I uh-huh. think, I, you know, that, that was one of my, yes, you can tick that off, Amanda. Um, okay. You know, but now the next task is, uh, you know, being the best CPO that I could possibly be. So Amazing. new task. Uh, I can see what you mean. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Today, what I wanted us to talk about, it's obviously related to global expansion. One of the many challenges that we face is uh, hiring in other countries is growing, I would say, a corporate culture. And my first question for you was, when we look at different markets, let's say focus on EMEA, what are the differences that you see in hiring professional across different countries? Um, I, th- I mean, there, there are um, many differences as you move through um, EMEA. Um, uh, for example, you know, when we look at the UK, you know, most people, um, especially if you're in-house hiring, one of the first things you'll go to is somewhere like LinkedIn. Um, and, it, you know, most people you know know about LinkedIn. Most people you know know about Glassdoor. Um, the difference is when you go throughout um, Europe, Middle East, and, and, and especially sort of, uh, Middle East and Africa, there are certain government um, legislation that doesn't allow you to just reach out and hire um, you know, not picking on particular countries um, for, for obvious reasons, but there are, um, when you're looking in certain areas, what you're doing is actually speaking with the butt of the government to tell them the, the roles that you have, mm-hmm. what those roles look like. And then it's kind of like looking at, um, you go, you, you know, you go to their offices and they provide the candidates that they feel mm-hmm. that you should hire. And now for those that are not, you know, really into international markets, uh-huh. that could become, you know, that's actually quite a shocker. I remember 10 years ago, that was my first experience. And I thought I knew everything about hiring. You know, you get that kind of, I've been doing this for many years, so I know everything. Um, and that was a massive culture shock for me, even though I've been working internationally. And I think that's the biggest impact is, you know, the differences are so different that you've got to do your homework first because if you don't follow the right um, requests, um, you know, that's set within that particular country, you could find yourself in quite a bit of trouble. So, you know, that's probably for me, that was my biggest difference. But again, people use different ways of hiring. You know, it's word of mouth in some countries. Um, It's about relationships in others. No, there, there are no two countries I would say are exactly the same in the way that you hire. Just, you know, being forewarned is probably the best way. And actually, when you mentioned this, the first thing that comes to mind is, is it even reasonable to imagine that one person internally should be in charge of hiring in multiple countries? Um, That's a good question. Um, Now... Coming, coming from very different industries, in my field of consultancy, um, I've been lucky enough to be able to work with many different industries, working through the kind of mergers and acquisitions that I have. But I would say 
Um, there, there can be difficulties if you have an in-house team that you know that's solely responsible to hire in every country. I think you do get some issues. Um, it really does depend on the strength of the HR team and the recruitment and their leadership. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, with the right training, with the right acknowledgement, with the right contacts in the other countries, it can be done. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really about the leadership and how they are training the in-house recruiters. Um, you know, I've come across it very different ways. We, we have an in-house team here mm-hmm. um, and we do international hires. But, you know, I take a different approach of things that I've experienced in the past and made big mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. But, you know, other countries, other companies, you know, that's probably where sometimes it won't work. Okay. And maybe taking a precise example, let's say that you're a founder. Uh, for a few years, you've done, uh, I would say, like some good growth in, uh, in your home market. And now you're about to expand. And, uh, and so you're, you're looking at different countries. Obviously, you have an in-house, maybe like small team of two, three people. Would you still advise those people who were just used to the French market to take care of these hires, or would you const- or, or would you systematically say, okay, no, you should have, uh, you should work with like professionals that actually know these territories and and not, you know, go with an internal way of doing things? Um, now, th- that's a that's a difficult one to answer because being in that situation, if I was that individual. With my experience, I would probably go with giving my team, you know, a little bit of uh, culture training and ensure recruitment's recruitment, right? As long as you know the practice that's within that country, if you're good at recruitment, you're going to be good at recruitment, recruitment in other areas. But my advice for those, you know, startup businesses or, or businesses that are looking to expand is really um, advise them to go to, to someone on, on, you know, on the ground. So if, if they're only used to France, um, my advice to that um, COO or CEO is to say, get your contact, find a partner on the country, you know, within the country that you're going to, because it, things like that take time um, and you need to get it right. Or go to, you know, uh, an outsourced company such as ours um, with the right expertise. Mm, okay, so you would so you would still uh, advise that unless someone has like specific like training, cultural training, because they have done it, like they should be seeking, I would say, a uh, outsourced help in so in some kind of way. Absolutely, absolutely. Rather than get it wrong, there's a lot of countries where getting it wrong means a lot. It could even mean litigation. So you know, don't take the risk if you're not sure. Mm. Do you have maybe in mind uh, some specific countries? Where, from your experience, you would be saying, yeah, like literally for those countries, don't try, guys. <laughs> If you're not from there, like look for an outsourced help. Um, okay, so you're calling me out on this one. Okay, <laughs> I would say um, with, with the greatest of respect to, um, you know, recruiters in the UK, um, I'm a recruiter from the UK, Um, I would say if you had no experience in hiring in France, then either get the experience or use somebody that really does know their stuff. Mm. Germany is probably another one. Um, and my favorite to mention, which I, I actually do love to hire in, is Italy. Um, mm. Because 
it's really easy to find the individuals in these in these wonderful countries. Really easy. Um, but if you don't know what you should know, the litigation that can come out of a simple mistake on a hire um, far outweighs just taking a risk. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Italy especially, they you know employees are so well looked after, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But for an employer just venturing out into Italy and that you know looking at that land and expand and it might not be it might not work Mm -hmm. they could in extreme cases be paying for that particular employee until their retirement simple mistakes um and if I you know for me it's kind of take the ego away if you don't understand the culture if you don't understand the legislation that goes with it it's it's a good thing to say I don't know, mm-hmm. and go in and seek you know help with an expert. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you're saying mm-hmm. it, uh, makes a lot of sense, especially because when you start expanding, I think the first thing you look at is costs about like cost about like how it's going to take you if you do it yourself or if you look for an outsource partner. But what you often miss out is probably the cost of making that mistake that actually <laughs> because like first the cost of the mistake and then the time you actually lost in finding the right candidates and and eventually you go you go to uh, outsourcing right but uh is that first idea right yeah, I, that sometimes you get wrong <laughs> exactly and you know we, we all want to have um you know a really good uh review when we're looking at places like Glassdoor, we want to be the employer of choice most people most companies want to be the employer of choice mm-hmm. that particular you know, the, these types of mistakes don't only damage your you know your bottom line but it can also damage the reputation of it as an employer you know those simple mistakes you've got somebody that's probably a little dis- disgruntled you know people talk and it can go on glass door and there's lots of other sites out there that will actually really call you out as an employer mm-hmm. so you know think about the bigger picture um and my and, and as i say i'll say it again recruiters in-house recruiters check your ego i was one of those you know mm-hmm. you know i can do this you know i've been recruiting for for you know x amount of years just just move your ego aside mm-hmm. and get that advice learn about the culture and all the things that that's slightly different from the com- the country that you're in to make sure that when you do approach it you're armed because you know living it done it myself um you know it's easy to say i'm i'm great i'm great in recruitment look at my you know look at my track record mm-hmm. that one mistake it takes a lot to you know to claw back from that so biggest advice is check your ego out the door when the country comes <laughs> in that you're not sure of All right, you heard it, people. Check your ego out of the, <laughs> out of the door before getting in. <laughs> and, and well, you just spoke about some of the mistakes, and I actually wanted to cover that as well. What other like common mistakes do you see companies making when they're hiring internationally, and, and how to avoid them? I guess. <laughs> uh, I, again, I think that I would say the top one that happens very, very often, and we get lots of companies coming to us after the problem mm-hmm. and that is about insurance funnily enough um you okay. know not okay. having typical example um you know for some countries there's certain insurances that you must have for your employer uh, your employee when you've hired them mm-hmm. and that's to um to protect the company and the employee in the event of long-term sick um and if you don't have that in place you end up paying 
For example, Netherlands is 104 weeks at 70%. Mm-hmm. Now, that insurance that was, you know, should be in place before you hire would have covered that, but it's actually coming out of your bottom line. And, you know, it's really, it's a bad taste in the mouth of the employee that, you know, you've reached out to in a country that, um, that you're expanding to and you haven't done a simple kind of compliance check of making sure you have limited um, insurance. Mm-hmm. That one has, it happens regularly. We, we okay. advise on that quite a lot. All right. So that means that whenever you're, you want to hire anyways, like you always have to look for that, like insurance, like how does that work and how, how can I get it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the best thing is to, when you're doing your homework is look at what, apart from just the employee contract and the policies that go with it, do your full compliance check and have a look at everything. Mm-hmm. Now, nowadays we have, you know, we have Google, we have the wonderful internet that can literally tell us everything that we need to know. If you don't have the resource, even looking at their lo- the, you know, the local government websites will tell you um, is, is about as much as you need to know. If you Google Netherlands and employment legislation and things to know, insurance comes up quite a bit. Um, but funnily enough, it's one of those things that people don't think of. But you know, people are living that that issue now. We we you know we 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 regularly resolve those kinds of things, but we're not resolving it. All we're doing is telling the you know our mm. client, you've got 104 weeks of 70 percent to pay out, and that's mm. about it. All right. Yeah. So you said top one is insurance. Do you have other ones in mind? Um, I think another one that happens is. Um, it, it is again around compliance. It's looking outside of the employee and the setup. Um, you know, directorships. Um, you know, if you're if you're out there and you're going in into land and expand, it is easy to go to companies that will give you what you ask for. And what I mean by that is, you could go to a company and say, "I want to set up a PEO." for um, X uh, 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 country, and this is the employee. And they will do that, and they will do a good job of that. But in some circumstances, they are doing what you have asked. They are not going to go to you and say, actually, PEO is not the way forward here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not complying in this particular country. There is a, is a, there's certifications that you need to have in place there's, you know, licenses you have to have in place. So dependent on where you've gone to seek this information, you might only be getting what you've um, what you've asked for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another mistake that comes up very, very often. The company they went to have done nothing wrong. Um, you know, they've gone to the company, they have asked, this mm-hmm. is what I want to do, can you set it up? Um, the, you know, there are companies like Mike, um, you know, the company that I work for, many others that will go, okay, this is what you want to do, but you need to do this. And these are the steps. So mm-hmm. just, you know, getting that balance right, sometimes going for the cheaper quotation might not necessarily save you any money. Okay. So, so that's actually interesting. You're saying that even though sometimes uh, some companies are uh, okay to look for external help, they might be choosing the wrong partner. Maybe for price yeah. reasons, but okay, well, that's... Uh... And, you know, it's a cost of living crisis, right? So, uh, you know, uh, for me, 
I would expect we'll get more of those that are coming in because people are having to look at the bottom line. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got other responsibilities. They've got to save their costs, but they've also got to keep their company growing. Um, so I, I expect that that would be, you know, that would happen. For me, it's taking that little bit of extra time to ask those right questions, saying, mm -hmm. is that the right, you know, is that the right way to go for us? Are we compliant? You know, if you don't ask the question, um, you don't know, you know, the company's done nothing necessarily wrong because they, they're doing what you've instructed. So mm -hmm. interesting. Okay. So for you, like the top three, I would say are like insurance compliance and getting the right partner uh, yes. to help you like have the right setup, I would say for your, uh, um, employees, et cetera, like HR payroll whatsoever. Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So that's, uh, th that was like the a portion of, I would say about hiring and, and the very first step to get in. If we fast forward a little bit, uh, you start having your international team, maybe teams with like several markets, a big, big, I would say, um, a topic that is very hard to get right is culture and how you manage to create, I would say, a global culture with, I would say, we're still considering localizing because you can't have the exact replicates on, on like all markets. That's just impossible and, and probably not healthy either for you. How do you create that? Like, how do you create a good corporate culture? And, and, and that also takes care of like local lo lo localization, I would say. So culture, um, yeah, it's, it's one of the top things that people are looking for these days um now for me um and you know going through many different um industries and the kind of support that we give my best option and tried and tested is when you when you're setting your culture you think about what you want to be as a brand as a business um you know and, and focus that culture into the initial document um, and when I say document we, we, we talk staff handbook code of conduct but you know mainly it's, it's electronic these mm -hmm. days but with your company when you before you start expanding set the tone so you've got your brand you know exactly what you want to be as a business um, and your culture is XYZ and then when you're going into another country, There is no reason not to um, keep the culture, the brand of the business intact. So you have that one branded mission, vision statement, um, uh, you know, why you're here, what you're looking to do. But you use, when you're adding the international companies, uh, countries, you start from the start when you introduce the employee, you introduce them to the culture of the business understandable however you're going to do that whether you're going to use translated documents or whether you're going to ensure that whoever's on the ground there understands the culture and it spreads that to the new employees in the new country but when when there are when there are different cultural things that you have to think about that's going to impact the business that really should be held for that country So a cold, you know, we, we call it code of mm -hmm. conduct now, you know, we split them out. Um, but it's also keeping that culture means it has to work both ways. You have to be training the the new country on the differences in the culture of the uh, of the main body, the head office of that of that uh, of that company, 
Uh, and then you have to make sure that those in the uh, in head office know how to work and understand the culture of the country that you know that they've just ventured into. This is my biggest bugbear. If we don't do that, there are many things, and I've got we we could sit here all day on on examples, but just not acknowledging what the differences are between each culture is enough for you know redundancies dismissals terminations you know they, they all spell from not understanding each other's culture so i think that's the biggest thing for me it's not about keeping or understanding differences it's about teaching so you know giving respect to each other to understand the differences in the culture and then you work from there if you get a good team behind you that, that actually do real culture developed training and the big advice is outsource that find a good um, company i won't mention one here but you get i'm happy for anybody to um to reach out on linkedin i'll pass you some details but um get a, a get, get a good company that are going to do all the cultural training for you before you venture yeah. and i've seen it work um you know i've seen it get to a point where there are there is such a blended culture across the businesses in all the different countries it's just it is it's it, it works out yeah. wonderfully well let me do two things like first sum up and then i actually have like one or two deep dive questions on that so you said uh first thing is that get i would say clear even before expanding which i mean anyways even if you don't want to expand i think it's very important but uh focus on the initial culture what's the mission what's the vision the staff handbook as you say the code of conduct and then when you start expanding you can keep i would say those like main points that are like very important to the culture but make sure that you leave ground as well as of maybe how it translates into each of the country uh, yes. then you said that it's actually very important to do some training of differences both for the new hires in the targeted country so that they understand what is the the culture in the HQ and and you know like what basically will be those main points for them but as well on the other side and and I actually love that point because I don't think this is something that we think about a lot especially when they're like small teams at the beginning is to train people from the HQ as well on how it is to uh, actually be in those other HQs how german people think like how does that translate in their own sense I would say. Um, so those are like the four points that you mentioned. I have a question on that is, so um, who should be the owner when you say like the training, right? That goes on both sides. Like, should it be HR? Should it be, because you mentioned people on the ground for the international team. So should it be the country manager if that person actually comes from the HQ? Um, I think, you know, actually the management of it, making sure that it runs as a project um, correctly, would I would personally have that within your shared service as your HR mm -hmm. function. But the responsibility, country managers, you know, they've got to make it work. Um, you know, country managers have got to work together to ensure that everybody is aware of what the cultural differences are. Um, but I think as a project, making sure it's happening... HR, I've, no, I've never seen it outside of HR. It's always been <laughs> somewhere that you know sits within L and D, um, and usually the uh, you know, the HR director or the CPO is the one that's um, you know spoken to if it all fails. So I've I've always kept a close eye on that type of thing. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet that you want to make sure that uh, yeah. that this is all right. So for you, it's really the 
the responsibility, I mean, of, of the HR function to make sure that, that it get, this gets diffused like everywhere and, and to maintain it as well? Absolutely, absolutely. Keep, keeping records, making sure that, you know, line managers and who they're managing, you can trace that culture training, especially when there's, you know, people change all the time, you know, organization structures change all the time. You've got to keep a handle on it. It just takes that one employee that, you know, uh, there's been a quick move and then all of a sudden that culture mm-hmm. clash causes a ripple effect. So, you know, it never used to be so um, so monitored when I was younger. I, you know, you know you, you're kind of young, you're thinking culture's, you know, really important and you're trying to get your board to listen and understand. And it was, it really wasn't heard. But um, I would say in the last five years, my job's become a lot easier. Mm. You know, it's not a case of having to um, nag. It's it's really a how are we going to get this new lot of training in for, you know, this particular country. So I'm glad, you know, things are changing and going in the right direction. I think there's definitely some more awareness now about globalization yeah. and when you go international like what does it uh, actually entail what would you recommend because i mm. think it's very easy uh, from this perspective as, as when you start to give like cultural training like that's something people easily understand but to maintain it right over time like what does it take what does it take <laughs> um real passion and dedication <laughs> i would say <laughs> Because it's one of those things that, that you know, it's easy to, to have a, a great push on the culture training across your yeah. business. And then everybody sits back and thinks, yes, we've made a wonderful uh, impact exactly. here. And, and then they walk away from it. Um, failure happens when we, we say that we're the finished article, that we have done everything. Um, uh, you know, go back to it. Revisit it. You know, whether you're doing that annually or quarterly, um, just keep on, you know, make sure that your new HR people that are coming in or, you know, the juniors and the graduates, get them into understanding culture and, and monitoring culture from the day they join. Um, because it will be like many things, unfortunately, they're, they're, there's fads, you know, we, we get things that we focus on. Um, and then Boards tend to um, get a little bored. I think that's the best, the best way to say it is that, you know, the focus t- comes on to something else. Please keep culture in the forefront because it, it just, if you've got that right and you've got your brand right, everything else falls into place. Culture is such a, a broad topic. And one of the things as yeah. well that sometimes I think can become hard for new hires, especially for if you hired, let's say, in a, in, in a country that's like very far away from, from home country, right? Like I've, I've talked to uh, companies where they, they were saying, yeah, so our main headquarter is uh, in Norway or Sweden. And, you know, we have subsidiary in, in, in Australia, in China whatsoever. And for me, like what I think is hard to get right as well is how to make sure that people, even if they're like very far away from the HQ, can feel that sense of belonging, Right, because uh, if you hire in, in India, in in China, it's it's so culturally distant from how we are, right? In in Europe, do you have, I don't know, a special take on that or like tips to make sure to to create this sense of belonging? Um, I think I think tips is is communication. Communication is key. You know, when now we don't think about time zones really. People are hired 
for who they are, not the country that they sit in. Um, so tried and tested is that regular communication. Now, I don't mean, um, you know, a, a little bit of a, a letter that goes around once a year from the CEO saying hi yeah. to everybody and well done. That's not the communication mm-hmm. I'm talking about. I'm talking about real, meaningful, regular catch-ups. Now, you know, some countries call them town halls. Some t- countries call them water cooler events. It's taking time for people to be able to dial in from wherever they are uh, with several different time zones available where they get to talk to everybody else in other countries, in, you know, whether it's a, a mix of senior leadership team members or, you know, junior staff. It doesn't matter how you plan it, depending on the size. It's just keep it consistent. You know, communication doesn't just mean an email anymore. We've got Teams. We've got Zoom. We've got so many different ways of being able to be accessible. Use all the tools you've got. The only way that you're going to be one company is if you actually bring in everybody um and you know for me that is keep it regular make sure you know you're thinking about every time zone give them all different time slots and make you know make the the senior team take it in turns to be on those calls to be available uh, you know it, it, it's so simple but yet you know you find it time and time again that it's it's not really actioned i think in my experience in all the, the companies that i've worked for um the ones that are really successful and really one company are the ones that take the time to, you know, to, to make these events um, effective. Mm-hmm. That's um, while you were talking, uh, I was just uh, thinking about uh, another company that I uh, spoke with a few months ago. I think one of the challenges they had was because the, um, the, the, the teams on international markets were we're so young in terms of um, how soon, you know, like they started. So it was maybe like one or two people per country. But in the HQ, the sales team was already maybe 10 or 15 people big. It was hard for some reason to ask those, the French team, because that was a French company, to sit on calls to, you know what I mean? Like to regularly like have talks with others in, in the market because of this like Zoom fatigue or, or whatsoever that you got from like COVID. I don't know if you get, if you get sometimes like one of those questions and if you have some tips, but uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that this company was struggling with. Like, okay, but how can I ask my team to like my 10 to 15 people, uh, uh, team to actually sit on calls with like the two or three guys that are on other markets because they because i feel that they don't like it you know what i mean that they don't like being on another zoom calls and stuff uh, so i think that i think that's a, a really fair and valid comment um and i think it probably happens quite often my advice um is not everybody wants to be included in the same manner you know we we are all very different people so if somebody isn't or, or isn't kind of up for joining these live events, these mm-hmm. meetings, it may not necessarily mean they, they're not interested. It may be that it's not their way of communication mm-hmm. that, that they favour. So, you know, again, we have podcasts. We You can video events. You can transcribe meetings. Give Just make sure that there's a there is a many different ways that that individual can identify with how they communicate mm-hmm. you know not everybody is going to be happy on a you know on a podcast not everybody is going to be happy on a zoom mm-hmm. meeting you know you, if you look 
nowadays you you could have 10 people on a team's call you might have a third of those people with their cameras off um and that and that's okay and i remember you know early days of covid there was lots of managers going around saying i've told them they must have their camera on um why you know it you know just because you like to be seen and you're animated doesn't mean the other mm-hmm. person so my advice you are going to get people that are not comfortable in a situation perhaps language barrier but we do have those lovely you know thing events you know especially even on linkedin where they the ai gives you the um the subtitles so you can follow uh, you know what's mm-hmm. going on We've got Google on our phone. You know, there are so many other ways to interact. You've just got to make sure that you take the time to give those employees other alternatives. Okay, okay. So you you still get some that, that just course, don't engage, but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Of course, of course. So your advice on that is really to uh, um, be careful of like communication styles and then try to adapt and maybe find some alternatives to still make sure that uh, this happens and that's okay if not everybody wants to join in. Absolutely. I mean, as long as you've done your due diligence, have you reached out? Have you, you know, have you really asked the right questions? Um, And if you've ticked all the boxes and that particular individual is doing really, really well, but just isn't into, you know, that integration and really want to get involved in the whole, um, you know, sort of the HQ friendship water call or whatever it's okay you know as long as they're okay you've done your checks it's fine you know we i've got many people that i very rarely speak to and that's on their terms um but that's okay but i've got others that i might have a zoom meeting with every single day but that's how they communicate so mm, all right so for you like the main being point i would say uh, to create a sense of belonging really to work on that communication and, and set up some regular catch-ups however you want it to be to be translated, I would say in uh, like for like each company, but this have to uh, these have to happen and they have to happen regularly. Yes, absolutely. Just listen to your employees. You know that's biggest for everything. Anything in whatever we do, listen to your employees. They're the ones that are doing the work, and go with what they think is right rather than you know one 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 size fits mm-hmm. all. Everybody comes to this one year yearly event where the you know, the CEO talks for 15 minutes and then that's it. We, we, we've got to be a little bit more diverse now. We've got lots of different um, applications that we can use to make mm-hmm. it better. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. All right. Well, if that's okay with you, Amanda, like let's move then now to the last portion of every episode of this podcast, which is the Oops, My Bad Time. Whoops, my bad. For those who tune in for the first time, this is a moment at the end where the guest shares a setback or mistake that has happened during one of the expansion journeys so far. Um, The idea always being to share some learnings, right, with the listeners. So maybe, Amanda, uh, based on your 32 years of careers, I'm sure you've seen like many things. Do you have like a story to share with us so that we can learn from it? Okay, so yeah, you're right. Um, we we I've got many over thirty <laughs> years. Um, that's how you learn. Uh, but I think the the one that comes to mind, and this really is focused around um, land and expand. Um, we have many different um, resources to be able to test a come a country out before you actually go and set up an entity and that's happening more and more often since covid it, you know it just things are becoming easier 
One thing, um, and this this is a natural live um, mistake. This has actually happened. Is you know, no names mentioned, but there was a company in the US, um, and they had um, done the the tester um, sort of try before you buy type um, uh, go at hiring somebody in another country. Now, to be able to do that, because of the legislation in this particular um, country, the US um, director had to become a director, a registered or company's house, Mm -hmm. etc., the equivalent to a company's house in the particular country. So they became responsible um, for that uh, company that was set up in, in the particular country. Now, for one reason or another, they decided that that particular country wasn't the, the direction they wanted to go. And long story short, the, the, the chap from the US came home. Um, within a, a few weeks, then found um, a, a, basically he was going to be arrested. Um, and what had happened is the closure of his directorship hadn't been done effectively. Um, and there was an event in the in the other country where it was a criminal, um, obviously, uh, offence that, that happened to the employee, where the director was held ultimately responsible. Okay. That um, really could have resulted in a prison sentence, you know, and it, without scaring anybody, it really is that you know it can happen, especially in the UK. Uh-huh. We've got you know. You know these manslaughter kind of cases that happen. That it's an easy, it's an easy mistake or something awful that's happened to an mm-hmm. employee. Quite mm-hmm. rightly, in some circumstances, the directors have the full responsibility of the safety of that employee. But just going back home doesn't rid you yeah. of that responsibility. <laughs> um, and saying goodbye, I don't, you know, I don't live in this country anymore. It's all right. Do your, you know, do your due diligence, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that you have ticked every box and you have signed off every piece of paper that takes you away from the responsibility mm-hmm. of the country you're walking away from. Um, and I think that one sticks in my head is more about, you know, a, a, a gentleman with a family coming home to a, a, an arrest warrant. And that's quite scary. I think it, we need to, um, if anybody learns anything... Is don't just think it's gone because you've moved out of the oh country. Oh my god! It's just, yeah, it, it is. It is really scary. And and the thing is that you're not even thinking mm. about it. So you ju- at some point you just learn the thing, and you're like, oh my god, what's happening now? <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the worst could have happened. He could have ended up with a long term prison prison sentence. It's just, yeah. you know, these these things happen. They do. Um, it's just like insurance, yeah. right? You, you know, I ah, don't need insurance. When it actually happens to you, you wish you'd have bought it. But taking the assurances, you know, follow the steps that, you know, for that particular country, for for us, company's house, make sure you've done your due diligence before you go back home. Make sure that, you know, you have signed everything off. And, and, you know, there's a lot worse, um, you know, that can happen to you in other countries when you're you're coming back. Um, So, I mean, and that is just giving you probably the – the least scary, um, yeah. but it, it does happen and it happens a lot. That one kind of resonates with me. Yeah. So it's it's kind of scary what could possibly happen. So that's my biggest bit of advice. Yeah. Do your homework. Do your homework, do your due diligence. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Amanda. That was very insightful. Thank you for sharing all these insights and tips with us. You're very welcome. Yes, and I guess I just have to tell you until next time then. Yeah, brilliant. Well, lovely speaking to you. Thank you very much for your time. 
Thank you very much, Amanda. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe to not miss the next one. And please share it with two people in your network. This is how this podcast gets more visibility and can help more of us to work on international markets. See you soon.